On the Bear and the Ball today, I get to interview Bernie Towers, president of Coast Soccer League, one of the great administrators of youth soccer in Southern California, responsible for growing this beautiful game to heights we have never previously seen. I'm Nick Webster, Vice President of Adult Soccer for Cal South. As you all know, I am a complete soccer junkie and I love talking to people who absolutely adore this beautiful game in the same way I do. That is why I am so thrilled today to interview someone who I've got to know very well over the last couple of years. He really is a great man with a fantastic mind. And all he wants is for this beautiful game to continue to flourish and grow in Southern California. Bernie Towers, welcome to the bear and the ball. And I know our folks at home can't see us. We're, we're actually on a, on a video call. And in the background, I see a couple of those red shirts framed. Ugh, are they Liverpool shirts, Bernie? Or is, or is it Manchester United there? Good morning, Nick. Yeah, no, it's Liverpool shirts. I got Gerard and Michael Owen's signature on one of them. So, and actually, that was a gift for me from uh, Gary Sparks, who was instrumental in getting Coast Soccer League uh, off the ground before me. So, uh, he passed away five years ago, sadly, but um, we continue on. Coast Soccer League, as I said, now has been around since the late 70s, really. And um, started out with a few clubs in North Orange County getting together and deciding to put their most competitive teams, because it was mainly, it was rec clubs back in those days and put their most competitive teams play against each other and formed a league. And um, ultimately that's how Coast Soccer League was born and has grown ever since, since those days. So, uh, yeah. Well, so tell us, tell us where you're from, what is your background, and, and, and how you got into uh, soccer administration. Okay, so I'm from South Africa, and uh, we pl played a little bit of soccer, but just recreationally in South Africa. And um, when I came, basically became involved in 1994, which is when the World Cup was here in the U.S., and uh, my uh, oldest son became, put him in the soccer program at AYSO. And then finally got a call one day and said, well, they needed somebody to coach. And do you want to coach? And I go, well, I don't know what anything about coaching. So I became involved in coaching AYSO and went to some friends. And how do I do it? And what do I do? And then got sucked into that. And then a couple of years later, I got recruited to join the board at Coast Soccer League and became a member of the board in the late 90s. And as I said, Gary Sparks then was president and uh, stayed, just stayed with the soccer and became more and more involved in admin of the sport and took it from there. And then obviously realized I wasn't cut out to be a coach, so uh, stayed with the admin side of it and turned over the coaching to uh, far better professionals than myself. So where, where did the love of the sport begin? Because I, obviously, I, you know, I have, I have family in South Africa. Um, I've traveled quite extensively in the country. And I, I know from South Africa, they're rugby mad and they're cricket mad. 
But soccer was never really uh, one of the big sports. So did you bring a love of the game from South Africa or did you develop yeah, it? Yeah, I think I got developed it more uh, when I moved to England. And I was watching, uh, you know, Match of the Day on BBC. I lived in London for a few years and then before I came to the States. So that's kind of where I got soccer mad, was basically involved with that. And, of course, I have a theory and obviously, if you're born in England and you've got your local team, that would dictate who you're supporting. But my theory is that you tell when somebody started watching soccer by the teams they support, assuming they're not from England. So a Man City supporter, in my eyes, is a Johnny Come Lately, because Man City has only been really good in the last 10 years or so. And as obviously when I was there in the late 70s, there was only one team and that was Liverpool. Late 70s, early 80s, it was all Liverpool. And obviously I jumped on the Liverpool bandwagon back at, back then. And uh, yeah, so if you're, if you're a Chelsea supporter, you probably started following soccer in the early 2000s and Man City in the 2010 era. <laughs> and it could be a totally, it's just a, it's just a theory. I'm not saying it's a good one, but it's my theory. Well, I, according to your theory, see, in the obviously 70s and 80s, Liverpool just hoovered up every trophy and I, I couldn't stand them. And uh, they always had this habit of losing 1-0 up until the 89th minute and then somehow uh, coming away with a 2-1 victory. And uh, it's amazing to me, actually, how many Liverpool fans are here in the US. And in fact, three of the last four people I've interviewed on the podcast Massive Liverpool fans, so I think that that fever carries across the ocean. That's for sure. But they wonderful team actually, and 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 great fun to watch, especially now in the uh, in the Jurgen Klopp era. So let let me ask you this: the what what is the aim of CSL of Coast Soccer League? Well, I think basically uh, we think that youth soccer in particular and, and team sports in general provide a benefit to society actually a, a broader a broader value than just the winning and losing and playing of a soccer game but soccer is one of those sports that is can be played at all levels you don't have i mean you can enjoy it and be very weak at it and very poor at it or you can enjoy it and be as you know, the Landon Donovan or uh, Lionel Messi or whatever. So it it touches all, all ability levels, doesn't require much skill to get started, just being able to run and kick a ball and take it from there. And so, but what happens is there's a dynamic with the team sports. There's the values that get learned by frustration quite frankly a lot of times and the joy of winning and the, you know the agony of defeat basically so all of the, and these life lessons that players learn to get along with other people learn to work together and i i truly really think that the coach has i mean i think it's teachers and coaches have such a profound impact on youth and that in turn translates into a better community and a better society if they're a force for good. So I basically am appalled when a coach is cheating, not, you know, not uh, 
basically ignoring the, the values that they uh, basically giving the wrong values to these kids. But so many of them, 90 plus percent of them, obviously are doing the right thing, playing the game the right way and passing on something to their players that is a tremendous value that will last them before. All the boys that played with me that I knew growing up and my son's peers, they're all still soccer lovers. They're part of that soccer community. They have that common bond. And I think you see it in all sports, but especially in team sports. And soccer obviously is the one that I've chosen to put my time into. Um, the value that it gives, I think it's, it's a tremendous thing. And uh, so as a coach, I think you ought to be admired in terms of what you're contributing to society, just as our school teachers are. And um, for the parents that are encouraging their kids into these, into these endeavors, so much the better. Um, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I really believe that soccer is a microcosm of life and what happens on the field certainly translates into the real world. And the as a coach myself, I've, I've had firsthand experience of how you can lift people and, and, and how really you can destroy people as well. And words and actions mean so much. So uh, I really have a lot of admiration for, as you say, 90% of the coaches out there who not only love the game, want to teach the game, but want to, you know, help kids uh, become the best version of themselves. And, you know, along those lines of, you know, the importance of the game, I was sniffing around the internet looking for, looking for things on, on Bernie Towers, and I came across you giving a speech for Open Cow Now and the uh, return to play policies. And we're still in the middle of the pandemic, um, but what do you think has changed from now as opposed to last year where soccer in California was completely shut down, whereas in the rest of the country, it seemed to be business as usual? Well, we, st we basically, this year has been basically two seasons back to back. So we started play in March after the governor opened up the state and did a whole spring season. And I will say for two weekends, it was fabulous because everybody was on their best behavior. Everybody loved being back at the game. By weekend three or four, we started to have a few issues, you know, complaints about referees, et cetera, et cetera. And so we still are having that now. I would say the biggest problem right now is referees, quite frankly, uh, going into this fall season because now there's in the spring, we had less games because not everybody participated. But now in the fall, everybody's back and uh, teams, you know, we're almost, everybody's back to full strength in terms of number of teams, number of players coming back. But the number of referees has not come back. Some of them have uh, basically, you, you know, with, due to COVID, have decided not to return. Others have decided not to renew their license. And I think that's really putting a lot of stress and strain on the system right now for all. And I, I think it's actually more than just soccer. I think it's a sports problem with whether it be baseball or basketball or whatever, all of the 
referees are uh, in high demand and there's not enough of them. And so there's frustration with parents and coaches occasionally where um, they're not happy with the system and would like more referees at games, et cetera. So we are, we are, that, we are seeing the stresses and strains of that at this, at this particular time. And I think part of this is, I would put it down to the fact that there are different stakeholders in what has now become a business. Um, soccer, you know, obviously I volunteered my time for many years with whether it be the coaching and the admining, and um, it's now evolved to become a business. So what that has meant is you were happy if a ref showed up because it was usually at AYSO, it was just a volunteer ref and it was probably a buddy of yours or whatever. So, and as a coach, you, tr you tried your best and whatever. So, but the expectations that were held for you as a ref or you as a coach were not that high by the parents. When it becomes somebody paying several thousand dollars a year for their kid to play a sport, then they expect a level of professionalism on the part of the refs and on the part of the coaches and on the part of the fields, et cetera, that is, was not there back in the early days. But what it also has created is that the stakeholders now have interests that are not always completely aligned. For the coaches, their interests are in now coaching multiple teams. Nobody can charge enough money to coach one team and make a living out of it. Coaches back in the day, this was their, they had a day job and between 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. they would coach a team or, and that would be it. Now it's a full-time job. Some coaches are coaching more than two teams. Some are coaching two, three, four teams at their training and coaching. Well, the problem now becomes that obviously if there's a coaching conflict on game day, that's, that's a problem for them. They can't make all their games. They're charging the parents a lot of money or the club is charging the parents a lot of money and therefore they're demanding that their coach be there. But obviously if you're running a league with multiple fields and multiple whatever, it's not always possible to accommodate that. And then you make a change for one coach well, that could negatively impact another coach's schedule. So that becomes a, uh, an ever, ever impossible task to accomplish, which is to get the coaches to be at all their games. So that's the one, that's the one issue there. The other part of it, of course, is that the referees are, can't be doing games without to get the best use of referees, you need to have what's called field loading. It's best, it's best for the, have a certain number of games on a field per day, typically four, five, six games on a field. You send a referee crew of three refs, they do at least three games and they rotate, you know, two, two sidelines in the center. What we are finding now, however, is refs are sometimes doing four, five and six games a day. And I'm sorry, but even, you know, even uh, if you're Usain Bolt, by the time you get to your fifth or sixth game of the day, you ain't running the way you did in, in keeping up with the play. So the last game of the day is always a troublesome one. 
where, and it's because the ref is not keeping up with the play, the parents are frustrated. So there's a whole snowball effect there. The coach, it's the same with probably true of the coaches. The coaches are probably, by the time they've coached their third or fourth game of the day, they could be also headed up to their eyeballs with some bad calls or certain inches or parents, you know, co coaching from the sidelines. So there's the frustration level can build and people just need to be cognizant of that fact and basically take a step back and go that we're trying to really, this is about an enjoyment factor for the children. And quite honestly, if the penalty call is missed or the offside call is missed, nobody's going to remember that in three weeks time, you know, and screaming at a referee or, and, and I'm, I got to tell you right now, uh, one of the ref assigners who I respect greatly just told me, he said, dissent is the cancer of the game. And it used to be that we would regard it as you called the ref, you made a threat to the ref. And that was, that was the dividing line. So basically, if you made a threat, I'll meet you in the parking lot or something like that, then obviously that is referee abuse and, and could be, you know, those people obviously there's no no place for them in this game but it's become even so that every time a referee blows a whistle and it becomes no that's not a foul no you got that wrong that's not offside well imagine you going to your job every day and for 90 minutes at a time people are just telling you that you're messing up and obviously um this is just uh it just wears on you so we have refs quitting at record rates and even if the even if there's not a cuss word thrown and there's not a threat made it's still not conducive to an enjoyable game and then the and then and really if you think about it if you're the players now you start walking around with a chip on your shoulder because you're thinking well the ref you've lost respect for the referee because the parents have not shown respect for the referee. A friend of mine and I were talking this morning and we're going like when we messed up as children and back in South Africa, we used to get caned on our backsides, but I would never show my mom or dad that I got caned that day because they would not support me and they would go, well, you obviously messed up. Right. And We've, the culture has totally shifted to the opposite now, where a parent will go and defend their child to the nth degree if they get a red card. We get more people appealing red cards and even appealing yellow cards. He shouldn't have got the yellow. And maybe, maybe the parent is right, and maybe that is the case that the ref did make a mistake. But the fact is, you're not telling your kid the life lesson that it doesn't always happen the way you think it should. And sometimes life isn't fair, and um, but obviously we we've changed in the in over the years. So I'm an old fogey in that regard. But sometimes you have to suck it up and move on. Well, there was something about caning there. Uh, I uh, visited the headmaster's office on more than one occasion, Bernie, and uh, 
it used to be a kind of rite of passage. You used to be in the uh, in the locker room, the changing rooms before the game, and uh, you know you'd be stripping down into your into your gear, and you'd see five or six kids with six stripes across their backside where they where they got a caning. But talking about the referees, you know, I recently I uh, I went to see Juan Guzman, who's the state referee. Uh, a signer and uh i got my level license so now i'm i'm out there on the pitch waving my flag and blowing my whistle and to your point i think there has been a dramatic shift in parental and and child attitudes to officialdom and it really has gone completely the wrong way um i know you know you you and i old fogey ish uh I'd, I'd like to think that i can still uh, still hang with the youngsters but when I was a kid, that the referee really was someone of respect, regardless of their ability, because they were the ones that controlled the game. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm refereeing now, and and as you as you pointed out, the level of abuse is completely unacceptable. The reaction of the players, and and this goes for girls as well. This isn't isn't just a boy thing. Has has really become quite reactionary, and I'm wondering. Well, I'm, no, no, let me say this. I'm concerned that there's going to be an incident sooner or later, uh, a very serious incident. And, and that really terrifies me because I think that could have very long-lasting ramifications on the sport and on people who want to become a referee. The, the key to me, Bernie, is always communication. And I think, and, and, and as president of CSL and as, as someone uh, on the board of Cal South, I think we're at the point now where we need to have a, a conference or a webinar where we bring referees, coaches, parents, and administrators together and start talking, and players for that matter, and start talking about how we can re-engineer and regain and it's I, I, yes, respect comes into it, but I, I, the, the last point you made, it's a game, okay? Games are fun. When the game stops becoming fun, and it stops becoming fun when it becomes violent, when it becomes aggressive, when it becomes scary, the game will start going away. So how do we, how, and I'm not saying we bring the game back to the, the Corinthian ideals of the 1950s, but what I am saying is that there needs to be a readjustment. There needs to be a, a new starting point. Do you think we can make that happen? Absolutely. And I think we have to. I think it's I think this is why we are going to basically be, you know, rolling out a few new initiatives. But one of the things that Coast Soccer League has done is introduced our Coast Soccer League app. On this app, we allow the managers what is equivalent of like a Yelp review for the opposite team and for uh, the referee. So we are collecting data which has the ratings, Not that, and it's not something Bernie or the staff at CSL is coming up with. This is the teams themselves rating the referees, rating the opponents, and, and letting us know the data as to who, how's, how people are doing. The problem that you and I face, Nick, as administrators is, and it's, there's a kind of an akin to being a policeman, in other words, all we see are dead bodies, right? Because all the, all the success stories, we don't 
In other words, nobody gives us an app. Nobody emails us every time to say, oh, good, we had a great game. I had a fabulous day. It's whenever there's a problem, we, get it, we find out about it. And so really hundreds of games every weekend are go off without a hitch, without any problem, without any incident. So it's the one or two that uh, we hear about that are, that are a problem. So I'm basically, uh, Kosaki is gonna, if your team has spectators tossed out of games and are part of that, part of the problem where you are costing us referees, you have to replace them. So if your team is wanting to come back and be uh, part of the coast cycling in the future, and you you basically are having spectators and coaches ejected for dissent and abuse, then you need to supply us referees before you're back in the league. That would be my proposal. Um, the board hasn't voted on that proposal, it's, I'm, but I'm thinking that's a good, good solution to replace the problems that we have because one, bad apple can cost us dozens of referees for all I know. We don't know the impact of it. Here's what I do know. Co-Cycling used to have a policy of two, each club providing two referees to the league in order to be uh, part of, of Co-Cycling. And for years, we built up the referee database. And we need to return to that. So a lot of times I've talked to several senior referees who've been in the business a long time now. And I go, well, why did you get, how did you get into a refereeing? Why did they go, well, you made me. I go, what do you mean? Oh, soccer league had this rule where you had to come in and I go, and you're still doing it 20 years later. And I go, and I go, that's fabulous. And so even if everybody, not everybody sticks with it. And even if it's only 10 or 20%, I think that's the way to go. We have to basically, have a conscription for referees going forward or the game will collapse. And what we are seeing now is, as you said, we've had this, this we need to reinvigorate uh, respect for the referee and for, for it. And I'm not saying there aren't times when the referee's lack of respect isn't earned. And I mean, I think we've seen this with the defund the police and that whole movement and be careful what you wish for because then you do have anarchy. And so that to the extent that you are calling or decrying the actions of the referees and not just, and not seeing the human side of that, um, it's leading to a, a, a game that's not what, what we, you and I would grew up playing. So anyway, I just, I just, I'm making a plug for the referee for, uh, against referee dissent and abuse, like, you know, as your mom would say, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. So leave it, leave it alone. And also if I'm a coach, the coaches, and this is where I, I mentioned earlier, coaches can be a force for good and a force for bad. And, you know, I have, I know plenty of coaches who will not tolerate anything from their parents. And uh, that's because they want their voice and only their voice to be heard by the players. And I think that, and I also think it's a lack of respect for the coaches if the parents are screaming commands and screaming at the ref and whatever. But, it, but if the coaches are losing their marbles with 
either the actions of the other team, the actions of the referee, the parents will pick up on that. And then eventually the players pick up on that. And that's how it all spirals out of control for those times that that happens. And I think that I think the coach is a, is a, can stop that right away and control that situation, which is why coach has the coaches and the parents on one sideline for each team, not on the same sidelines where the coaches are far apart. The coaches, and as I was obviously not really a coach, I was more a manager, but if parents on my own sidelines, and many times I would go and tell them to shut up and be quiet. And I said, if you can't keep your mouth quiet, and I had two dads on my team that this was their thing, they would, I'd mark, they'd march off and go away because otherwise I would be basically, it would be uh, very confrontational between me and them. So that was the idea to protect the coach, protect the sidelines and protect the integrity of the game. And that needs to be happened. Parents need to police their own parents if need be. Um, and the coach needs to not be an instigator. They need to be a, a, a role model and a leader. And that, I think that's, and I think that way that, that works. And, uh, and the other thing is with the, re remember the referees that are at the field now are actually the good guys because they're actually decided to show up today. The other guys have all told you, forget it. They've mailed, they've retired and moved on. So there's that. And, um, Wait, you brought you brought up a really interesting point actually earlier uh, about referees and coaches and the fact that you know everyone's overworked and you know like I just said you know I've, I'm getting back into refereeing myself and I'm only doing seven asides and uh, you know adult leagues and whatnot but you know small sided games and by my third or fourth game I'm done I'm fried I can't keep up with the play but it's not only physically Bernie it's mentally. And mentally, I'm missing stuff. And the players and the people watching the game don't know or don't care that it's my fourth or fifth game. And I think what we need to be able to do is to be able to communicate more. So when a referee and a team come together, I know this may sound like an excuse. So I want to run it by you because as, as we're talking, it's, it's, it's popping in my head. Does the referee say to the coach, you know what, son? This is my fourth game today. I might not be on top of my game, but I'm going to call the fairest game possible. And then the coach goes, hey, ref, you know what? This is my fourth game today. And I've had an absolute shocker in the last two games. So I'm going to try and rein it in. But if I do happen to uh, uh, maybe be more exuberant in my, in my coaching or my calling of you, perhaps we can come together or just give each other a thumbs up or go like, hey, you know, Yes, it's our fourth game of the day. And by that, the coaches can then convey to the parents. And I know you spoke earlier about the fact that, you know, money now is a huge driver. As, as, a, as, a, as a parent, are we, as a parent paying big money and the coach and the referee come up to you and say, you know what, I'm kind of tired. I might not be on top of my game. Is that acceptable? Well, we have actually and talked about this in the past with the referees about having a pregame meeting between the coaches and the referees and an introductory. And every good referee, when I would go up, a lot of it, some of them would 
especially when my the boys were older, uh, would say, I'm, you know, they would call the game extremely tight in the first 15 minutes, just to try to set the tone. By the second half, they'd let a little more go than what would happen in the first half. So I kind of regarded that as good game management by these referees. Um, but they, they would tell you, listen, you know, I'm going to call it tight. I'm not, you know, some of these fouls are going to go. Or however, whatever their, their MO would, would be of how they like to do the game. And you're right, as a coach or and a manager, you knew what was going on a little bit better. If they had come to me and told me that, I might give them a little more slack. Um, I don't know that for the parents they would care. What, the, what needs to be communicated to the parents is that we have a shortage and therefore, you know, we need to get more referees. We need to encourage more. The players, the, you know, these players that are 16, 17 years old are the perfect recruits to get to become referees because, A, they can run as fast as the kids because they're running now. And, you know, they know the game. By, by that age, these kids know the game better than anybody. And the youngsters will are the one are the way of the future there. The um, shout out to Ian Anderson from Ventura, and he always talks about how he has far more referees when UC Santa Barbara is back in session because the, the kids that are coming back from all over going into college, he, they come and ref his games. And of course, college age kids are the perfect, are perfect. I mean, they're fabulous refs. So to, to the extent that we can get those youngsters involved in refereeing, the better off we all are. Um, and they're better refs and they're fitter and stronger and everything. So, uh, but what you don't need is you now need to realize these are somebody else's kids. You can't be treating them hurling abuse at, at these guys. And a lot of times I've, I've seen some unconscionable comments made at 15, 16 year old kids. And I'm thinking you wouldn't ever talk to your own child like that or anybody, your friend's child, but when they're a referee, all of a sudden that's okay. It's not okay. So anyway, um, I think we basically need to work on recruiting right now. And to the extent that, you know, that's the only solution to where we can have enough referees to go around and um, so that we they don't we don't have to only be doing six games a day we can we can be do a better job of only giving them two or three games a day and that'll work better for everybody right now that's not the case for this season but i'm going forward i think and i'll be happy to work with Juan and Cal South about this. We need to get, as I said, we need to get our numbers up and get the recruiting started. And part of that is obviously an acknowledgement that this is something that needs to be done. And it also needs to, the parents need to realize that they're part of the problem and can also be part of the solution. Because anybody, everybody that's a referee, by the way, is has some interest in soccer and they either they have a kid or a, an uncle or a brother or whatever sister playing soccer and that's why they there's an interest in the sport so um obviously we had rules that you can't be coach refereeing your own kids games but to the extent that you're with a club obviously you're you know you're going to be you're going to be you're going to have some link to at some point to, at time to the sport um 
I also want to give a shout out uh, to, as I said, I've talked earlier about our Yelp reviews and um, we'll be sending out a list of who did uh, people in the spring and obviously following up with who, who's doing well in the fall. But I want to give a shout out to Santa Barbara Soccer Club and to MSAFC who have consistently shown that they're the leaders in uh, their ratings. And this is the ratings that have been done by the opposite teams and by the referees as well. The referees are also rating the teams. So there are clubs there that can set an example. And I'm sure that those clubs have had times when the refs have not done, you know, done a great job, but they've still managed to maintain their composure. They still managed to have an enjoyable experience. And I think that comes to, as I said, good coaching and good admin on the part of those clubs. So there's plenty more of them besides that that have done an excellent job. And the other thing that we're going to be talking to is probably is also a shout out to those referees that are getting rated highly. And the only other solution to hiring more referees is uh, obviously having less less coaches and less teams. And that would that's another solution. And uh, we're trying to not go that path. But obviously, for those that are creating a problem for the rest of us, uh, who needs you? For sure, for sure. Listen, Billy, I know, I know you're really, really busy, so I'm not going to take up too much of your time. So I could talk to you for hours, but I'm going to give you one last question. And I want you to put your, uh, your visionary hat on and get your crystal ball out. What does the future of youth soccer in Southern California look like? Well, I'm hoping it's I'm hoping it's not what it is now, because right now we have a balkanization of leagues, and it's lead led to vast inefficiencies. So on the one hand, you you can say, oh well, this is the marketplace at work, and everybody's but everybody's coming up with a different league and trying to sell a different program. And again, this has to be with how do you marketing and trying to market to parents uh, something special. And it's, a, it's, it's basically there's a lot of pandering to the desires of parents to obviously whose focus is their own child. But trust me, they're not all going to play for the MLS. They're not all going to play in college. And but the business model right that exists right now obviously is in, is enticing clubs to recruit based along those lines. For me, the pyramid system that we have in existence at Coast, which is the bronze on up to the premier level, is the right way to go. And there needs to be an integration rather than a whole lot of leagues that exist side by side where there is the point of entry is just to be a member and not to qualify. And so with our system with qualifying, teams seek and find their own level. Right now, I know even in the ECNL and the, on the girls' side, and there's, trust me, there's some fabulous ECNL girls' teams. But you never know what you're going to get. 
you could have some club that have strong teams in every age group, but then you also have others that have holes in that mix. The same with the NPL system. When it's not a team-based system, but it's a club-based system, the clubs are recruiting to fill a void, but it's also means that there's inconsistencies in, in abilities. So you might have a great girls 04 and a great girls 06, but a really crappy girls 07, but they still qualify based on the fact that you're a member of this league. And ultimately that's not good for the sport. I think, it, I think ultimately the team-based model works as a better, better thesis for establishing a national team for the, if the U.S. soccer ever wants to get anywhere. You know, I think the worst thing that was, if somebody once said, oh, that the USDA was a great program, poorly executed. And I go, no, it was a horrible program, perfectly executed with a lot of money thrown in to try and make it work. But it had so many issues, one of which is, you know, having kids and MLS Next has gone down the same stupid path, which is having kids choose between high school and club MLS Next. BS to that. High school is an integral part of the of the youth growing up. It's it's the most it's a fun part of their of their uh, education. And to say, oh, no, you shouldn't be doing this. You should just be doing nonsense. They need to do high school sports along with their club soccer program. So, um, yeah, I feel strongly about that. And I think that the USSF has uh, done nothing but get in the way of, of the growth of the sport, quite honestly. And if they continued, US soccer continues down this path, I think, the girls are going to suffer, even though we've had historically done so well on the girls' side. But this balkanization of the leagues is, is not a good thing. Ultimately, I hope everybody needs to have a kumbaya moment and work together. But it's, I'm, not, I'm not optimistic about that, quite frankly, because there's too many competing interests right now. I couldn't agree more. I, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of high school soccer, having... Growing up playing high school soccer and my club team at the weekends, uh, playing with your playing with your high school friends, nothing can beat it. Bernie Towers, president of Coast Soccer League, always fascinating to talk to you. I hope I can have you on the Berendable very in the very near future because I think we've got at least another five six hours of stuff to talk about. Always a fascinating conversation, and don't forget, folks, lots of good things coming up at Cal South. We have our Beach tournament in Huntington Beach, November 20th, 21st. Of course, the 7v7 extravaganza, Kern County Soccer Park. Music, food, beer, lots of great soccer. This really is a festival of festival. And don't forget, you can also name our new league down in San Diego and win $500 of Nike gear. As always, Visit CalSouth.com for all the latest news, details, uh, coaching education, refereeing education, lots and lots of great stuff at CalSouth.com. You can also find us on Twitter at CalSouthSoccer, Instagram at CalSouthSoccer, and of course, Facebook. And if you want to talk directly to me, go to at Nick Webster on Twitter. 
This has been The Bear and the Bull. Thank you once again for joining me. Speak to you real soon.